Enlightenment Radio, Rupo VSOMU Svidu, Zed Vami 24 Godini Musiki, Prami Translacy Talmishtasni Pied Devisan Harista Pied Kas Mishtagnoi Podrozi, Tokakom. your thanksgiving that's for us four days of porking out eating watching football traffic jams flight delays for you it's just one holiday closer to christmas and you at 25 degrees yes it's that time of year and all the news is favorable to the ukraine as far as i'm concerned and we're going to talk about the uh, truce offer we're going to talk about the uh, there's one story i eliminated because we've been talking about crimea is, uh, how shall I say, it's becoming a ghost town. Uh, the Russians are escaping there. The... So we'll, we'll get a little more detail out of that tomorrow. This is your host, Misty Guide on Enlightenment Radio. And go to your website, the Ukraine, Ukraine, theheartofhope.com. Soon to be the home of your translation during this radio program. I promise you. You can go to YouTube now and get it, can you? Uh, do YouTube to get the uh, visual, yes. If you want the visual, uh, the YouTube captions in Ukrainian? Yes. Okay, so if you want to go to the Enlightenment Radio YouTube, you can see the captions in Ukrainian, and it's the same thing. We're just going to switch it over to the Ukraine website. Makes more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm tired of YouTube spanking us every time we do something wrong. And uh, so we're going to get that Ukraine language up on Ukraine, theheartofhope.com. You can see the site now. It's where you can hear our 24-7 music what we believe in, what we stand for, what our goal is, and we're getting closer to it. You're getting closer. The last day I spent on uh, Thanksgiving teaching what it was, and I read an excerpt from my book, and then we prayed. We prayed for your country that the evil, Dr. Evil and Mini-Me, would flee. The devil would flee your country when the one true God is prayed to. It happens. It happened during our Civil War. I watched it happen. Oh, no, I'm not that old. Okay, our first news story. Let's see what it's about. Oh, I recognize that intro. These guys are good news. Russian army attacked its own troops. Good news keep coming for Ukraine. Hello, the pioneer viewers. As you know, our agenda is the Russia-Ukraine war. The war continues on the front line, and it's all reality. Both armies are trying to finalize their preparations before winter set in. Managing the war process is very important agenda. As we have seen, some issues have led to the emergence of the shortcomings in the war process. The warring parties need to make up for these shortcomings quickly. War is a serious process and a reality where people's lives are at stake. Therefore, states should prepare strategic action plans in times of peace. Armies need to learn from the difficulties they face in times of trouble. 
When Russia stated its invasion attempt against Ukraine, it became more difficult for it to deal with its challenges it faced. Although the Russian army was a large army in terms of size, it had difficulty in fighting against the Ukrainian army. The Ukrainian army managed to corner the Russian army by making strategic moves from the first day of the invasion. The costly losses suffered by the Russian army left a huge economic damage. In addition, personal shortage in the Russian army caused many extra casualties. While the Ukrainian army continues to receive new support packages, the Russian army is left with ammunition problems. The incident that took place the other day came to the agenda as an incredible scandal for the Russian army. Russian troops were shot down by the Russian helicopter, and this scandal became an agenda. Now, if you're ready, let's examine the latest developments together. As the pioneer, we continue to convey the Russia-Ukraine war to you. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and turn on notifications so that you don't miss our daily map reports and reports on the agenda. I also read all your comments on our videos. Please continue to share your ideas about our content in the comments. Let's start if you're ready. The pioneer reports. According to the news that emerged the other day, the Russian army shot its own troops. Published footage showed the Russian Ka-52 helicopter blowing up a Russian MTLB tank in the Novomikhailovka in the Donetsk region. Different allegations emerged after the Russian helicopter shot down the Russian tank. It is thought that the Ukrainian military intelligence is behind the attack. There are strong ground behind the allegations on this issue. According to the information we obtained from local sources, the Russian pilot was working on behalf of Ukrainian military intelligence. He carried out the attack in line with the orders that he received from Ukrainian military intelligence. While Russian troops are still recovering from the shock of the incident, a comprehensive investigation has been launched within the Russian army. It is known that there are many spies working on behalf of Ukraine in the Russian army. A significant amount of losses suffered by the Russian army is due to the lack of Russian personnel. After the latest incident, the number of tanks lost by the Russia in the war has also reached a striking dimension. According to the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, Russia has lost 5,439 tanks since the start of the war in February 2022. The Ukrainian army also destroyed Russian tanks in attacks that took place the other day. The Ukrainian army's plans of offensive continue and the Russian army is expected to struggle in the upcoming winter conditions. While the Ukrainian army continues its offensive... The yeah, so the Russians have lost... Oh, I lost it. 5,340 tanks and uh, 20 just last week. Yeah, I, I don't see how they can keep this up. New support packages are also announced. Many states are announcing their support for the Ukrainian army's struggle. In order for the Ukrainian army to continue its attacks, the support had to continue. For this reason, Ukrainian counterattacks are getting stronger. This week, the Ukrainian army received statements of support from three Western NATO allies as it continues its mission to retake Russian-occupied territories in Kiev's war against Moscow. This includes the approval of armored transport vehicles to be sent from Bulgaria to Kiev after Bulgaria's National Assembly approved an agreement between the country's Interior Ministry and Ukraine's Defense Ministry. The Bulgarian Defense Committee reported that the transport vehicles in question are no longer needed by the Sofia Army. The Latanian Ministry of Defense announced in a post that an aid package worth $3 million of remote donations systems and winter equipment arrived in Ukraine the other day. In a statement, the Latanian Ministry of Defense said it remains committed to helping Ukraine. 
The Ministry of Defense of Macedonia also made statements on the Ukrainian aid packages. According to the official Slavishka Petrova, North Macedonia also announced that the first Ukrainian soldiers have successfully trained with their own troops as part of the army of the Republic of North Macedonia. Speaking to journalists, Petrova added that her country plans to train Ukrainian soldiers until 2024 and for as long as there is a need for it. NATO members have played a vital role in Ukraine's ability to counter Russian aggression since Moscow launched its invasion in February 2022. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg reiterated the alliance support for Ukraine during a phone call with transatlantic leader in October, including the United States. Allied members shared the burden of supporting Ukraine in a way that belongs to Ukraine, with all about half of military support for Kiev coming from United States and the other half coming from European members and Canada, according to the press release from U.S. President Joe Biden, NATO. Russian President Vladimir Putin has said that Western support for Ukraine will only prolong the conflict and Moscow officials have specifically warned against the countries like the United States providing long-range military equipment. Oh, we're really scared, Vladimir. Yes, we're really scared of your uh, telling us what to do. Artillery rocket system, which many include a modification that allows Ukraine to fire long-range weapons. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov has previously said that weapons supplied to Ukraine that could potentially allow Kiev to hit targets in Russia are extremely dangerous and could bring the conflict to a whole new level. And so it has turned out... Yeah, he's warning us because he doesn't want those long-range missiles in Moscow. It has gained significant leverage in its attacks against the Russian army. The Ukrainian army's counterattacks created great difficulties for the Russian army. It seems very difficult to compensate for the destroyed weapons of the Russian army. In a statement by the Andrei Kovalev, the spokesman for the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, information about the latest situation was announced. The Ukrainian Armed Forces destroyed Russian troops and military equipment and four Russian artillery units, a Russian ammunition depot, a Russian anti-aircraft missile system, and 24 Russian targets were neutralized. The Ukrainian army's counterattacks continue to intensify. What do you think about the Russian army helicopter shooting down a Russian tank? What do you think about the losses of the Russian army? Do you think the Ukrainian army is able to make significant gains in counterattacks? What do you think about the support packages announced for the Ukrainian army? Do you think the Ukrainian army will make stronger moves with the support? We care about your opinions. Please share it with us. Well, okay, she gave a good report. I like her uh, military language. She knows her stuff. So she's thinking that uh, everything that's heading in the direction of Ukraine's victory, that's what I see. I've seen that in every report. I see no change. I see no reason to sign a truce with the devil. That's what you'd be doing. The devil is not going to keep his end of the bargain. And you, know, you got to get your land back. Every ounce of land that he's taken since 1991 or whatever it was, and Crimea, you can't sign a truce without Crimea. No way. No way. Just tell him to back off. Go back to Moscow and party with Mini-Me. Okay. Next story is uh, pretty... Um, Putin's peace deal. Oh, yeah, this is the peace deal that's touting. The, 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 of course he wants a peace deal. He's losing. <laughs> He's losing men 
they're retreating, they're defecting, they're dying, and they're they're leaving in the thousands, and their tanks are going in the thousands. So why wouldn't he want a peace deal? You know, I'm sure the West is pounding Zelensky to sign a peace deal. We don't want any more of your fighting and your money to give you. No. But a peace deal is not a peace deal with the devil. He'll be back in a month or two taking more land. I'll guarantee it. If, in fact, this is happening, it's a strategy of weakness. Because they believe that somehow... It's a strategy of weakness. ...fire right now ends the problem of Putin's aggression in Ukraine and Putin's greater designs. When, in fact... It, it, it strengthens Putin because he's said all along the Western, Western leaders are feckless. He can outweigh them because they'll grow impatient and he can achieve his nasty strategic objectives. Well, as the conflict pauses in the Middle East, it continues apace in Ukraine. Today, the Ukrainian capital of Kiev was hit with one of the biggest drone strikes since the start of the war. Meanwhile, the United States and Germany are believed to be in talks over an effort to persuade Ukraine to negotiate a peace deal with Russia. Let's speak to John Herbst now, now, who is a former US ambassador to Ukraine and now director of the Eurasia Centre at the Atlantic Council. John, good evening. Good evening. What do we know of this morning's strikes on Kiev, John? Well, this has been the largest in a long while. And of course, everyone's been expecting a resumption of last fall and winter's massive bombing campaign on infrastructure. The question is, is this the first, is this the start of that? Or is this a one-off? And we'll only know after some time passes. Okay. What what do you make, John, of these briefings this weekend that the US and Germany are hinting at a peace deal? I think the safest thing to say is we don't know if these these rumors are true. Um, We've seen such rumors before. But again, there's never been confirmation that they are true. What we do know, though, of course, is that the United States has been timid in sending the weapons Ukraine needs to conduct a substantial counteroffensive. And then we see reports, and this has happened multiple times over the past seven or eight months, that Western officials are concerned about the state of Ukraine's counteroffensive, which in fact their own timidity explains. So this, this leads people to reach conclusions that in fact the U.S. and Germany, which have been the most timid actors in the alliance, are behind this. You know, timid act- that means they're cowards. They're, they're, they're just a bunch of cowards. They can't stand the pressure from home. They can't stand the pressure from Putin. And they can't take winning a war. They just cannot handle winning a war. Oh, no, we can't have that. When's the last time we won one? Oh, half a century ago. So when are you going to take the weapons, buy the weapons, take them in there, and win the war before Christmas? You stupid flukes. Well, a truce is not going to do anything but give Putin the land that he's already got. And he's got to regroup. And he'll come back with more force. So get your butts together, West Germany and Biden, other Western region, France, Poland. Step it up. Win the war now. Finish him. Finish Putin off for good and let his own people run him out of town. That's what I say. I would like to see a negotiation because they are too timid to give Ukraine what it needs. But Timid yeah, isn't the word. I don't think these are, these are facts. Okay, so what, what, what's, what's your gut telling you then about what the truth is there? Well, uh, the short answer is I don't know. I would say that one reason to think that this may be true is, again, reports you've had from time to time about Western officials wringing their hands about the state of the counteroffensive, when, again, if they look carefully on the ground, 
they know that their refusal to send the you know more capable weapons, more advanced weapons, explain that. But again, I just don't know. Right. Let's just let's just play with the notion, John, that um, the U.S. and Germany are in talks right. about a peace about a peace deal. Um, right. As far as these sort of reports are concerned, it, 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 hinting that they're broadly along the lines of the present battlefront. So right. what, what, what would that actually look like? Well, that would be a clear victory for Putin and a clear defeat, not just for Ukraine, but also for the United States and, and NATO. See, he gets Putin's it. He gets it. are not limited to the land he's taken in Ukraine. They're not even limited to Ukraine. You know, the draft treaty that, he, treaty that he sent to NATO before the big invasion demonstrates his interest in territories, lands that used to be part of the Soviet Union and the Soviet Empire which includes a whole bunch of NATO allies. Now he's so getting the picture. Right When he said in his op-ed, when he said in his Oval Office speech, if we don't stop Putin in Ukraine, we may have to face him in the Baltic states, which would be much harder to defend, and which would involve NATO troops. But at the same time, they don't arm Ukraine in a way that would make it possible for Ukraine to take back land. I think that's principally driven by the fact they've been spooked by Putin's nuclear threats. But the notion that somehow they're trying to drive Ukraines in negotiation is not far-fetched. Again, I just don't know if it's true. Well, why do you think the attack you have this weekend? John, I mean, let's just deal with that at face value, that the U.S. and Germany would be attempting to push Ukraine or, or at least, you know, uh, um, nudge Ukraine into a peace deal that would present a victory to Putin, for Putin against both Germany and the U.S. And that doesn't well, seem, doesn't, doesn't quite add up to me. I can't understand that. Well, I, I, I agree that this demonstrates a certain lack of strategic vision and, and strength in, in following a policy. Um, and again, Biden's already laid out the stakes, but the policy doesn't fully reflect that, and that's quite unfortunate. In Germany, we haven't seen the stakes laid out that clearly, but again, especially the Social Democratic Party in Germany has been always not just timid on Russia, but been largely an appeasement, uh, followed a policy of appeasement. That's, you, can't say, you can't claim that that's what's going on now with Schultz, but clearly, Germany is, is the weakest among the major NATO allies as it confronts a very, very aggressive Putin. Well, Biden has no policy. He hasn't had one since he took office. What's his policy? Ice cream? Sniffing girls' hair? That's his policy. He has no policy in foreign affairs. He never has. He's always been a joke when it comes to foreign affairs. I'm telling you, don't sign this treaty. Don't even think about it. So they'll, they'll, you know, they'll put their heads in the sand and say, well, Putin's objectives are just about saving his face by taking some territory in Ukraine. That is truly naive analysis. Hmm. There is, of course, another significant uh, player in this. Somewhere. Volodymyr Zelensky, the Ukrainian president. Um, is he likely to even entertain the idea of a conversation about a peace deal? Um, he's made clear right now that he is not. So I, I think, and, and of course the administration, and I think also uh, the chancery in Germany, do not want to be seen in the position of pushing the, you know, the victim to accept an unacceptable peace. So, the, so if it's happening, it's happening you know, in the shadows. But again, it's not clear to me that this is the actual policy in either Washington or Berlin. What, what, is, the, what is the sense in in even hinting at this being, you know, if, if we're to take this at face, face value, you know, somebody uh, within either the US or Germany or possibly both are briefing this, right, to, to, to journalists. Um, if that weakens the US and Germany, it's not what Zelensky wants. It proposes something that would be a victory to Putin, presumably in itself strengthens Putin, something for him to say, look, there you go, there's a chink in their armour. Correct. 
what is the actual Oops. sense in, 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 in briefing this? Well, again, if, if in fact this is what's happening, it reflects... But, but, just, but just, not, just not not so much, John, the fact that it, whether it's happening or not. But one right. thing that has happened is it has been briefed. We do know that it has been briefed. It might not necessarily be happening, but it's been... Somebody somewhere if, has flirted the point if, to a journalist, haven't they? If, if presumably, yes, I say presumably, but because we, we don't know. If a, if, a position, if a figure of authority in one of these governments, at, say, at least a deputy secretary level, deputy minister level, were briefing this... That would indicate that, you know, this, this is something they're trying to encourage. Uh, but it could be coming in a diff, from a different individual, a different form. So, again, I mean, I, I spent 31 years in the State Department. I know how these things work. Mm. I'm not saying that these reports are false. I just am not certain that they're true. I don't have any doubt that there are individuals in not just these two governments, but others that would like to see this war go away, again, because they think Putin would stop um, with part of Ukraine when he won't. But whether those are definitive characters in the, in the governments in question is a whole different question. But again, the, yeah. the overall policy lends itself to people assuming this is what's going on. And that's okay. truly unfortunate. And so, and so my sort of question there really, John, was, was it, it, we're not sort of seeing something here that's a double bluff, potentially, are we? Or, or you know, or some sort of, some sort of clever strategy that, that they're doing something that seems counterintuitive... It's- but is actually for a greater goal. It's a, it's a strategy. If, in fact, this is happening, it's a strategy of weakness because they believe that somehow having a ceasefire right now ends the problem of Putin's aggression in Ukraine and Putin's greater designs, when, in fact, it, it, it strengthens Putin because he's said all along the Western, Western leaders are feckless. He can outweigh them because they'll grow impatient and he can achieve his nasty strategic objectives which cut against our interests, Western interests, over time because the leaders are just not strong enough. It would play to that in ways that are very much against Western interests. John, really insightful. Thank you very much for your time tonight. Thank you, John. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's good advice. That's good advice. Ambassador to Ukraine, their director of the uh, Eurasia Centre at the Atlantic Council. Okay, we're going to... You are in tune to Enlightenment Radio, home of the ultimate knowledge of body, soul, and spirit, and unlimited music Enlightenment-radio.com. There you can journey through the mystical voyage and also view our schedule of programming. Thank you for listening.
Well, there you have it. The peace tables are talking peace, a truce with the devil. Let's shake hands with the devil and see what he does. Tricked you, he'll pull his hand back as fast as you hold it down. He's losing the war. Why why wouldn't Ukraine be calling for peace? They're not calling for peace. They're not having talks. I don't think they're having talks. It's Biden. It has something to do with the election. Oh, I got peace talks. I got Ukraine and Russia at peace. That's part of my election policy. Yeah. So that's his strategy. That's his only strategy is to win the next election. That's all he cares about. Right. So I would give back, make him give back to Ukraine, make him give back all the land that they have taken since day one and i wouldn't even i wouldn't even sit down with him i say get out of our land then we might talk hey how about you giving us some of your land (laughs) how about if we take some i have a another commercial id to give to you as a free gift you don't have to pay for it it's right here at enlightenment radio more news and more songs and entertainment coming up russia abandoning crimea will be a gigantic step towards um uh, ending this war because I think that's Russia, right. Crimea is the key. Crimea is what it's all about. I mean, I don't think they care about uh, Donetsk and Luhansk except for um, the connection of the, the so-called land bridge that connects Crimea to Rostov and to mainland Russia. Um, you know, Crimea is what enables them to continue to threaten uh, Ukraine to disrupt uh, grain or, or also longer-term reconstruction of Ukraine because they can block all the seaports. Um, and it also is the platform for Russia to dominate much of the Black Sea. So if Ukraine can force the evacuation of Crimea by making it untenable for Russian Army, Navy, and Air Force, then I think we're well on the way to seeing Ukraine accomplish uh, the ejection of Russia back to the 1991 borders. That's not easy, and it won't happen uh, overnight. But if they had those long-range capabilities, I think it could happen much quicker than anybody imagines. Hello, and welcome to Frontline for Times Radio with me, Kate Chabot. And today, I'm delighted to say we're catching up with senior retired American general, Lieutenant General Ben Hodges. He's commanded in Iraq and Afghanistan and was commander U.S. Army Europe from 2014 to 2017, and he's a regular and highly regarded commentator on Frontline. Ben, welcome back. I um, want to start with the latest developments along the front line in Ukraine. Russia has been forced to acknowledge that Ukrainian forces have established bridgeheads on the east bank of the Dnipro River, um, only two days after having denied that. Um, is this the most significant development at the moment? See, they've taken over Dnipro and Crimea. No wonder he wants to surrender. That was a key point also. All I got to say is keep it up. It's along the front line, do you think? Well, certainly, um, Kate, and thank you for the privilege, by the way, to be on your program. Uh, Certainly, this is going to be a problem for the Russian side if the Ukrainians are able to build up combat power inside this bridgehead and and expand it enough um, so that they can then bring over um, more and more longer-range artillery and weapons that would be able to start hitting Crimea, Um, and be able to go after uh, Russian logistics and headquarters and artillery in the rear area. So that that will be a significant problem for the Russian side. I'm I'm sure that the Russians are obviously going to do what they can to eliminate that bridgehead. So it's going to be perilous um, uh, for the Ukrainians who are inside there 
until they can build up more combat power. Uh, but this is this also shows the um, tenacity and the uh, um, understanding of the importance of operational art on the Ukrainian side to create multiple dilemmas for the Russians and to keep searching for flanks and ways to get after Crimea. And in the east, President Zelensky has been speaking of heavy losses of Russian, for Russian forces around the Avdivka area, claiming they are likely to undermine Russia's war efforts. So some important gains there. So the, um, like you and, and uh, probably most of your listeners, um, you know, if you watch on different social media, the endless video of these Russian attacks against Ukrainians, they're where uh, they're just getting blown apart uh, because they're attacking in the open. Uh, they're not properly trained. They're not properly supported. They're not doing the things that a, you would expect in such a situation, the Russian side I'm talking about. But it's because the Russians have decided that they can just simply overwhelm the Ukrainian defenders around Avdivka. And so they're resorting to uh, these these sort of frontal attacks. And, and the Ukrainians... Um, are making good use of particularly the cluster munitions that we have provided to them uh, and the various other weapon systems that the U.S. and U.K. and others have provided. What's what's interesting to me is I look at this, and, and, and in a war of attrition, the Russians are never going to run out of troops. So it's not like, um, and certainly the Kremlin is not worried about how many casualties they have, although estimates are, we're talking about hundreds, if not over a thousand every day killed. Just cut that in half, 500 a day killed is enormous. Not to mention the hundreds of vehicles that they've lost and will be difficult to replace. So I think that um, it, it feels a little bit to me like the Russians are out of options only to prolong this as much as they can and hope that we in the West get tired of supporting Ukraine. Something that's making a bit of noise here in the UK is uh, the visit by the new Foreign Secretary, who's the old Prime Minister, uh, Lord Cameron. He's in Ukraine, and he's made that his first foreign visit in his new role. That's pretty significant. Um, I like it because, number one, the fact that that's the first place he goes as Foreign Secretary uh, signals uh, the continued importance that UK places on supporting Ukraine. A very powerful signal, especially at a time when so much attention in the world has shifted towards Israel uh, and the Middle East. It would have been completely understandable if the new foreign secretary had gone there instead. But to go to Ukraine, I think, is a very good, promising, and important step. And I would imagine it's welcomed by the U.S. also to see that the U.K. will continue to help Ukraine uh, in, in this way. Uh, now, I, of course, I hope that uh, the Foreign Secretary is carrying the message to President Zelensky, you know, you can count on us. And by the way, I'm speaking for the rest of the West. We're not turning our back on Ukraine, despite what's happening in Israel. He, he famously drove a van, actually, to Poland with supplies for Ukrainian refugees shortly after the full-scale invasion. And Ukraine was the first of the daunting international challenges that he also mentions after accepting his new role. Um, what would you like to see the UK doing? Well, of course, it was three Storm Shadow cruise missiles, three that made the difference in the Black Sea Fleet having to begin repositioning out of Sevastopol. Uh, you know, the whole world watched as uh, one Storm Shadow 
uh, was able to destroy this uh, famous dry dock in the port of Sevastopol. And then two more storm shadows were used to destroy the Black Sea Fleet headquarters in Sevastopol. And then almost immediately after that, uh, the Black Sea Fleet starts looking for a new home and begins to reposition some of their uh, ships to ports further to the east. So just with three storm shadows, and of course, enabled by uh, Ukrainian special forces and drones and probably some partisan activity inside Crimea, UK has proved the concept or has helped Ukraine prove the concept that with enough long-range precision weapons, you can begin to make Crimea untenable for Russian forces. So imagine if uh, the U.S. and Germany would provide a couple of hundred Atakums or Taurus, what would be happening right now? The, the Russian Air Force would already have gone, the Black Sea Fleet would already have gone, and the big logistics hub at Jankoy would have been uh, destroyed or um, re relocated. So in the absence of the U.S. and Germany providing those long-range capabilities, hopefully U.K. and France can find a few more of these weapon systems that would make, I think, such a difference. They're not going to win the war, but making Crimea untenable for Russian forces will do an awful lot to help Ukraine. Just on that note about your your desire for the U.S. to provide the longer 300-kilometer range attack and missiles and the tourist missiles 500 kilometers from, from Germany, do you think that could end the war? Uh, Russia abandoning Crimea will be a gigantic step towards um, uh, ending this war because I think for Russia, Crimea is what it's all about. I mean... I don't think they care about uh, Donetsk and Luhansk except for um, the connection of the, the so-called land bridge that connects Crimea to Rostov and to mainland Russia. Um, you know, Crimea is what enables them to continue to threaten uh, Ukraine, to disrupt uh, grain or, or also longer-term reconstruction of Ukraine because they can block all the seaports. Um, and it also is the platform for Russia to dominate much of the Black Sea. So if Ukraine can force the evacuation of Crimea by making it untenable for Russian Army, Navy, and Air Force, then I think we're well on the way to seeing Ukraine accomplish uh, the ejection of Russia back to the 1991 borders. That's not easy, and it won't happen uh, overnight. But if they had those long-range capabilities, I think it could happen much quicker than anybody imagined. Like two months. Two months they could have them out of there. Your thoughts uh, on a rather important essay recently published uh, with the name of Valery Zaluzhny at the top, the commander-in-chief of the armed forces of Ukraine. Uh, are you convinced he did actually write it? And why do you think he would? Um, I am sure he, he wrote it or, you know, um, that he owns that, that essay and, and the interview. And and of course, to put it in a publication like Economist uh, gives it a level of uh, credibility and, and circulation that's important. Uh, as I read it uh, and thought about it, my initial reaction was, okay, this is a clear-eyed, sober, very professional assessment by the chief of the general staff of Ukrainian armed forces, who uh, there's no finger pointing, there's no defeatism. It's pretty, pretty cool uh, assessment of here's where we are. Uh, we have a real problem. The Russians, uh, despite their problems, the Russians clearly have uh, achieved uh, advantage in terms of drone technology, both in quality and quantity. The Russians have the advantage. 
And he acknowledges that, you know, they've got to come up with a solution, some sort of technological solution that will help mitigate that advantage that the Russians currently have. Now, the, the part that caught the most attention um, and uh, supposedly uh, aroused the ire of the presidential office was this word stalemate. Now, I have um, checked into, I'm obviously not a Russian speaker or Ukrainian speaker, but what I have heard from Ukrainians was that the interpretation that the economists used of stalemate is not the correct interpretation, but it was deadlock. Now, that, you know, I'm sure my British friends are laughing here in an American dissecting the English language here, um, but the difference between the connotation of deadlock, which is something that can be overcome, whereas stalemate has a much longer, more permanent-sounding uh, connotation to it, uh, I think that's an important distinction. He lays out, here's what we need to win. And by the way, Crimea is the most important place. So I thought it was a very useful essay. It's really interesting um, how language can be interpreted and, and what a difference it can make, isn't it, in, in this particular instance as well? Well, it, it would have fed the narrative of some people that want that that either never believe that Ukraine could win or don't want Ukraine to win or just want to get on to something else to say, look, even Zeluzhny, the great warrior, thinks it's a stalemate. We're back in World War I. Let's stop the killing. That's a very naive and selfish approach, but unfortunately, uh, a lot of people have that. So I think that's why that uh, that interpretation does matter. The, the essay says the war is moving towards a positional form uh, and that the prolongation of the war will benefit Russia. Um, can you explain what is meant by this? Well, I agree with him in that um, this, the, the only hope the Russians have um, is for this to go on to the point where U.S., Germany, U.K., France, others just say, all right, we, we can't keep doing this, or we don't want to keep doing this. Of course we can, but we don't want to. And uh, this narrative out there that uh, I hear occasionally of, about Ukraine fatigue, nobody should be fatigued. We're not doing anything. I mean, it's the Ukrainians that have every right to be fatigued, but people that live in the U.S. or U.K. or Germany elsewhere should not have Ukraine fatigue because we're not... We're not physically there. And, um, of, of course, what I understand the, the meaning of it is you'd like to know that if you're investing in something that it has a positive outcome that makes it all worthwhile. And our leaders have to do a better job of explaining why it's worthwhile, particularly in the United States. I mean, there's too many Americans that are not connecting the dots on why what happens in Ukraine has a direct impact on the on American economy, American prosperity, and also on our eventual long-term threat, China, which is watching to see, do we have the political will, the industrial capacity, and the military capability to help Ukraine as well as um, help Israel and also bring about a peaceful solution in the Middle East, deter Iran, deter North Korea, and still have a love left for China. So that's kind of what's at stake. And my president, our leaders have got to do a better job of explaining that. Now, the Russians, I think, are really hoping that Donald Trump is going to come back as the president, um, that he would win some re-election somehow uh, from his jail cell. Um, and so I think they're hoping that if they can drag this out, that they'll get a different U.S. administration that will not be willing to support Ukraine um, and other countries would also fall by the wayside. That's that's the only 
op option I think that the Russians have because I don't see them having the capability to change the, the situation on the ground um, for years. Uh, just to, to, to drill into a bit more about what the, what the general general solution has said in this essay, um, he examines what Ukraine needs to complement its existing capabilities so it can transform the current nature of the war. He talks about uh, gaining air superiority, uh, breaching mine barriers, increasing effectiveness of counter-battery, creating the necess uh, necessary reserves and building up electronic warfare capabilities. They're all significant challenges to overcome. What struck you about Well, I think the bottom line of what he's saying is if we would get off our duffs and give them the weapons they need, they could take it over and get Crimea back within two months. He says, but of course, this can be a long, long time in the effort of getting it back. Well, no, it couldn't. He's saying it. If we would just get off our duffs and do what we have, set our sights on getting Crimea back, Russia, it would be over. That's what he says. I've seen that in many reports. It would be over with. No more touting your mini-me, Dr. Evil policies. So, having said that, let's get, uh, oh, you know, let's give these little guys a piece of chance. Give peace a chance. Give them a chance. Two, one, two, three, four. a chance and kick Russia's ass.
is kick Russia's ass. That's all we're saying. Give peace a chance and kick Russia's ass. Or kick Russia's ass and give peace a chance. That's the only way you're going to get peace. That's it. You can't uh, shake hands with the devil. You just can't do it. He's going to spit all over you, fire you with dragon fire out of his mouth. Here's a beautiful song by Eric Burton and the Animals, Sky Pilot. He blesses the boy as they stand in line. The smell of gun grease and their bayonets they shine. He's there to help them all that he can. To make them feel wanted, he's a good holy man.
and the animals my memory serves me correctly that was around 1968 about the height of the vietnam war and they were all writing songs just totally against it not against the soldiers but against the government's policies and their lies just like what's going on now the propaganda and we lost we ran home with our tails behind us because they made us lose politics we weren't there to win anything did communism stop like the domino did it take over the world no well that was the big the big uh the saying over there i can't see my clock what time is it okay four minutes i'm gonna go out with a song i think i got one queued up god bless you this has been mystic guide at enlightenment radio and the number one thing is to remember, it's 25 degrees. God can even do anything in 25 degrees. God can intervene in this war. He can fight for you. He can live for you. He can protect your children. He can protect your family. He can bring all the soldiers home. Pray to the, pray to the true God tonight around the dinner table. Pray, 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 and this guy will be gone. He, the devil will flee from you. Dr. Evil will flee from you. That's why he's wanting a truce. He, hasn't, he can't win this war. It's impossible because God is on your side. I said so. <laughs> I believe it. So pray to the one true God and the Son, Jesus Christ, that this war ends soon. Your boys can come home. Your women can come home. No more tears. No more shells. No more sirens. And bring home the peace. Peace. <laughs>